Good morning, and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church. My name is Isaiah Hawks. I'm the children and preschool pastor here at Ebenezer, and I am looking forward to today because today we get to sit down and together look and and view uh, Pastor Bob's sermon that he's put in diligent effort to study, and and I'm so thankful for for him and his efforts to, to do that and present it to us today. So I'm excited because... In a sense, that means that we're together. I know that that sounds weird, especially in the climate that we are in, to talk about this idea of together, but we are together in in the sense that Pastor Bob is going to be preaching in just a second, and, and what he has to share, we can all in one mind agree with and come together in, in at least one sense. And it, actually, that made me think about... Uh, a verse in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. I've actually got it pulled up right here, and I, I wanted to read it to you. It says it says this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. See, what Paul wanted to point out here is is the unity that the church has, and not just in the in the proximity of it, but the unity that we have in in the like mindedness that we share. And so today we still have that unity. We can still come together, and we can still focus on what God's word says. And so I encourage us to to keep that as our focus, while also being excited because because we are looking forward to a day when we're opening up the church once again to come together in another sense. September 6th is is a date on our calendar that we're looking forward to because we we want to open up the church in a safe way so that we can all come together, not just in the sense that 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 Paul is talking here with unity and a like-mindedness, but also coming together in a physical sense. And so we look forward to that day and and you can be praying for September 6th and and be praying for us as we move forward, as we think through um, each and every individual member of, of our congregation, considering the needs of, of others, not just ourselves, and, and even for, for you as well, doing the same, realizing that, that going back into our building requires consideration of every single person. We can't think of just ourselves. We need to, we need to be unified, as, as, as Paul says. And so be in prayer for that day, be excited for that day, and also be excited for today, because today we are we will share one mind as we look at God's God's Word. So before we do, I just want to open up in a word of prayer. So let's do that now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for the faith that we share, the hope that we share, the baptism that we share in, in Christ Jesus, Lord. Thank you for the fact that you are the father of all and we can we can rely on you, that you have complete sovereignty over every single situation, even this one. Lord, we're excited for the day that we get to come back together and, and, and be unified in another sense. But Lord, uh, may we also consider every single member even today, as as we're as we're coming together in 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 a virtual sense, may we may we think about those who are also watching uh, Pastor Bob preach today, and may it be a coming together of sorts. Lord, may our focus be on you today, and may what Pastor Bob has to say may that be uh, the nourishment that we need to focus on you. Lord, it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.
standing on this mountain top, knowing just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us, kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how far you've come, knowing every victory is your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, can say, yes, our hearts can say, never that he chose to send Jesus Christ, his son, to be our Savior. And one of the most commonly quoted verses, one that almost everybody knows, testifies to that. It's John 3.16. So from wherever you are, sitting on your couch, in front of your computer, let's say that verse together. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. 
find his mercy come to the table he will satisfy taste of his goodness find what you're looking for for god so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us whoever believes in him will live forever bring all your failures bring your addictions come lay them down at the foot of the cross jesus is waiting there with open arms for god so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us whoever believes in him will live forever the power of hell forever defeated now it is well i'm walking in freedom for god so loved god so loved the world Good morning and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church. I'm glad you've chosen to join us this morning for worship as we continue in our series called Recalibrate. We've been looking at the life of Moses within the bigger story of God. We're going to be talking about hardness of heart. We're going to be talking about a proving ground. Where have you been asked to prove yourself? Maybe as a child, you were asked to jump off a high dive. And it would scare you to death. Maybe it was a dare that somebody gave you. Uh, Maybe it was the choosing of teams and you were chosen number three out of a long line of children. And you had to prove yourself why you were chosen number three and not number 17. You had to live up to a certain standard. Maybe as a teen, you were challenged to lift a certain amount of weight in the weight room. Or your grades. Maybe living up to a certain standard of A's or B's or National Honor Society or some other measuring stick for your grades. As an adult, you may have been asked to prove your resume. What I mean by that is you put things down on your resume, you got the job, and because you got the job, people are looking for you or at you to see if you can do the things that you said you're able to. Maybe it's the building back of trust. Uh, It's the accountability, proving that you are worthy of trust again after having broken a trust, maybe in a marriage where you've walked away from that covenant relationship for a time and need to prove yourself back to your spouse. There's even proving ground with regard to credit. You're asked to fill out a credit application when you take out a mortgage. And you have to pay that mortgage, but they want you to be able to prove 
why you're able to make that payment each month. In the church, it's no different. We have those proving places in the church. For instance, deacons. Deacons are selectively chosen, and we follow that pattern that we find in Acts chapter 6, where the deacons are chosen because the apostles needed to focus on the ministry of the Word. And there was a dispute that rose up among the widows about the distribution of food. And so deacons were chosen, and the, the criteria for that was men of good rep- reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So they had to prove themselves. But do we also ask God to prove Himself? Are there expectations that we have about God? I think there are. I think there are a lot of expectations. And to to be honest, God doesn't always live up to those expectations. He's saying, oh, Pastor Bob, I don't know if I can agree with you. Well, think about it like this. When was the last time that God did not do something in the timing that you expected? Or God did not answer a prayer in the way you thought He should answer it? You had a certain outcome in mind, and you prayed to God for that outcome, and God did something completely different. God didn't measure up to your expectations. And so God didn't prove Himself well in that case. So we ask God to prove Himself and to prove who He is. And we can look at His Word, and we know that His thoughts are higher than ours, but we have standards, don't we? You see, that was the question that the Israelites faced. As they were in slavery for such a long time, they were asking, where is God? God, when are you going to prove yourself? And the Egyptians were the same way. The Egyptians had been hearing about God, but never seeing the action of God. And wanted to know when that was going to take place. Pharaoh, a whole other story. Pharaoh was the guy that if you looked at the chart that's on the message notes this morning, go to the very bottom of that. See, the Pharaoh was actually considered to be God. Or be one of the gods for the Egyptians. So, there was a dilemma that came across Pharaoh's desk, if you will, about his position and his rights versus the rights of the Hebrew children and their God that he hasn't seen. So the dilemma is there. God, are you going to prove yourself? And in Exodus chapter 7, starting at verse 1, we get to see how God answers that within this story that Moses is narrator for. And so Exodus chapter 7, starting at verse 1, we'll begin reading, and this is really an outline of the things that are going to take place between chapter 7 and chapter 12. Chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now verse 7. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. It's interesting that Moses adds this part in Scripture for us to understand how old he and his older brother were at the time of going to see Pharaoh. It was 80 and 83. And if you think about that, it would be hard for them if pressed into a situation for a quick getaway, it would be hard for them to to outrun those that were 20 and 30. So I think Moses is letting us know and reminding us that as long as you have breath, that you are a um, you are a work, a vessel that God is working in and through. So as long as you have breath, God has a purpose for you. The way Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 64 it says, "But now, O Lord, you are our Father; we are the clay, and you are our Potter; we are all the work of your hand." So God is at work in my life. God is at work in your life to accomplish what He wants to. 
So let's pray as we continue to look at this. And then let's ask the question, what does God want to do with my life from this day forward? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for um, Scripture. We thank You for the truth of Your Word. God, we see in Scripture across all the books that we see um, great successes and great failures. And even in the sections of Scripture that we're going to be talking about today, we see success and failure. And so, Father, I pray that as we consider Your Word, as we consider our lives in the mirror of Your Word, Father, that You would draw us to Yourself. You would help us to understand our, our relationship to You and that You would help us to understand how to avoid affecting that relationship in a negative way. And then God, remind us again that You are the potter. and We're the clay and we need to be submitted and surrendered to You. So God, guide us this morning for Your glory, we pray in the strong name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Chapter 7, verse 1. God gives this instruction, says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. So he's identifying him, and, and even the power by which Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh with this directive to let my people go. And then in verse 2, a very simple instruction, do as you're told. Just do it. When I tell you to do this, do it. And essentially what God is telling Moses is to not second-guess Him. That God has a plan for the Hebrew children. God has a plan for Egypt. And He knows how it's going to work out. Please, just listen. There's no need for you to go off on your own and to be that rogue spokesperson, spokesperson before Pharaoh. And then in verse 3, we see that Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. That Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened and, and I have to ask the question, um, what was the condition of Pharaoh's heart going into this scenario, going into this story? And so, because he says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart, we'll talk about that a little bit later. In verse 3, the second part is that God is going to provide signs and wonders in the land for a particular reason, so that people will know who He is. And God has been doing signs and wonders for forever. And He's going to be expressing Himself and His character and His power and His might before Egypt and before the Hebrew children and before Pharaoh. Now we can look at a passage like Nehemiah 9.10 because this refers back to this, this situation with Moses and Aaron. It says in Nehemiah 9.10, You perform signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. So, Nehemiah is expressing this idea that God, you worked, and you worked in a way that as they started to forget how big you were, that you showed yourself by signs and wonders. Psalm 135, 8 and 9 is again this looking back at what Moses and Aaron did. Um, or what God did through them. He says, um, He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both man and of beast, who is in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants. And then we read in Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah needs to be reminded of this as well. Verse 20 of chapter 32, You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. And so, Jeremiah understood it. In fact, Jesus understood that the people of Israel and really everyone looks for God to prove Himself. By signs and wonders, God proves Himself. Jesus said in John 4.48, So Jesus said to him, the question was, Proving, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And what Jesus was saying is, you're looking for signs and wonders. In reality, what John expresses through the Gospel is Jesus performed signs and wonders and they still did not turn to Christ and to God. 
And so we see this pushing back. And so in verse 4, what will Pharaoh do? Well, Pharaoh is going to refuse to listen. He's going to harden his heart and turn away from God. And the, the idea there is that Her- Pharaoh will not listen. He will not listen with the intent to obey. Now, maybe you've had this situation happen in your home where you've told a child or a grandchild to take the garbage out. And you told them, you thought they understood, and in fact, you're really sure they heard you. And, and yet you come back an hour later and the garbage has not moved. They're still in the same place they were. And you say, did you not hear what I said? I told you I wanted you to listen, but more than just listening, I wanted you to obey. This idea of Pharaoh turning his back on God is the idea of hearing, but not following through in obedience. See, God is identifying Himself with the sons of Israel and in so doing, telling Pharaoh, that I'm going to do something and I'd like you to listen, but I know you're not. And so God identifies with the sons of Israel, them as His people, His kids, His children. And then God identifies the way that they will be granted release. And that's through judgment. And so what we see in this passage is we see this progression from signs and wonders. the, The identity of God through signs and wonders down toward judgment and what happens because God brings judgment on the land of Egypt. And then in verse 5, it says the Egyptians will know. They're going to know that God is who He says He is. And then verse 6 is the summary statement that Moses and Aaron did as they were supposed to. And out of that, people saw that God was God. And so we're going to look at this idea of a hard heart because we see this progression in Pharaoh's life and and we see the work of God in the midst of this and what God does. And the question for us is, are we susceptible to a hard heart? Is it possible? uh, Now we could answer this question for those that don't believe in God, but we can ask the question for those that have a relationship with God. Um, are we not all susceptible to a hard heart? There is a progression that we see here in the life of Pharaoh um, of a sinking to a hard heart. So that's the first point, sinking to a hard heart. And it comes through initially knowledge. Just the understanding that God exists. Um, Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress or push down the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God has displayed it. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we can look outside the windows of the church. You can look outside the windows of your home and see the creation of God and understand by looking at just the detail that it's not happenstance. It is God doing an intentional work so that that they are without excuse. That's the end of verse 20. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's the hardening of the heart as they push away God. So, the first thing is knowledge. The second part is rebellion. The pursuit of self and sin. Uh, if you will, this, this, the term self-deism, it's about placing ourselves in the throne or on the throne that God deserves in our life. And so we excommunicate God from the throne and think, hey, um, uh, I'm in charge now, so you need to listen to me. And we talk to ourselves as if we hold all the power and all the right when it's God who is most powerful and loves us beyond measure. Isaiah 53.6 says it like this, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way. 
And then that passage goes on to talk about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, and it says, but God has laid the iniquity of us all on Him. And so self-deism. The second thing is substitutionary deism. Another word for that would be idolatry. It's putting something in place of God. And so instead of just self, it may be something else. It may be um, sports or something else that we put there in place of God and we get deceived into thinking that that's where our trust can be placed. Nebuchadnezzar did that. Um, He looked at himself, but he also looked at his circumstances. And in Daniel 5.20, it talks about Nebuchadnezzar's downfall. It says, but when his, Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken away from him. So Nebuchadnezzar was dealing with the idea of not just self-deism, but pride and seeing himself as something greater than he was. And so his circumstances around him diminished as God placed judgment on Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. His glory was taken away from him. The third part of sinking to a hard heart is hardness. And you say, well, that, that just sounds like you're repeating it. In, in some ways, yes, because it's exactly what hardness is. It's the continuous rebellion against God's initiative to invite us into relationship with him. It's the rebellion and refusal to repent. And so did God make Pharaoh's heart hard? Or was Pharaoh's heart already hard? I think Pharaoh's heart was already set in a way that would make it hard for him to listen to God. And although God provided signs and wonders, every time Pharaoh encountered the act or the work of God, he said, I understand God exists, but I am not going to respond. And then every time a plague came, every time one of those judgments came, um, as those happened, Pharaoh's heart got harder and harder. It became easier for him to push away God. He became more callous to the invitation of God to respond in a way that would honor God. It's, um, I've seen this in student ministry. Back when I was a student pastor, uh, you would see this. You'd see a couple that would be dating and they would begin a dating relationship but as they got more involved with one another and began to get intimate you would see them pull away from their friends you'd see them pull away from adults that cared for them you would see them pull away from the church and you would see them pull away from scripture and what was happening is as they were rebelling against god in premarital sex they realized that when i fall under conviction i don't feel good so therefore i'm going to push it back And as they continued to do that, they became more callous to the things of God. So we have to guard from that hardness by being susceptible to God and being under the authority of His Word. So hardness can take place in our life. Justin Gatlin said it this way, hardness leads to hardness. Or continuous rebellion leads to continuous rebellion. The fourth part of sinking to a hard heart comes through rejection or blasphemy and when you become so callous that you no longer want to respond to god at all you say i don't god you can invite me all you want but i don't need it uh, i've had those encounters with people that just didn't want to have anything to do with god and so um, that rejection comes as a final work in the life of a person whose heart becomes hard and darkened. And so we can be susceptible to that, but we don't have to give in to it. We can be susceptible to that hardness. But if you're asking this question, how do I come back from hardness of heart? How do I come back from that callousness? Or how do I prevent that? Then God is still working in your life. There is still a degree of hope. There, and we, we call it the, the light at the end of the tunnel. But I want to tell you, there's good news when we are asking that question because it means that we can still be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's invitation to come into relationship with God or to enhance or make our relationship with God healthy. And so let's look at not just singing from a hard heart, but saving from a hard heart. The first point in this is 
to treasure knowledge. To treasure knowledge. See, God reveals Himself. He reveals His existence through His work. Psalm 95, 8-9 says, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. And so we have this knowledge that God is at work. And I'd encourage you to look around you. And we talked about looking outside the window. Look at the work of God. And do not discount the fact that God exists and that He is inviting you into relationship with Him. Treasure knowledge. God also shows His love through His gift. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. See, we didn't deserve Jesus to go to the cross on our behalf. We can't go, God, You owe it to us. And if You don't pay us, then, then we don't want to have anything to do with You. No, we, we are not owed anything from a holy God. God invites us by His grace, by His benevolence, to come into relationship with Him. So God shows His love through His gift. So we need to treasure knowledge. Secondly, avoid rebellion. Avoid rebellion. The deceitfulness of sin leads to the hardness of heart. The way the writer of Hebrews wrote it, we're talking about a relationship with God. and He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The sin will take us down a road that we don't want to go down. The deceitfulness of sin or that wanting to sin will take us down a road that leads to callousness or leads to hardness. We live in an age of distancing, social distancing. We've been really dealing with it for about six months. And, and it's hard because we don't get to gather in this building like we've been used to. And so it's hard to encourage one another in the way that we've been accustomed to. But I've seen some creative things. I've seen these drive-by visits. We had some folks drive by our house um, at one point and just encourage us by coming through and beeping the horn and waving and, and having conversation at a distance. We've seen that. We've gotten on Zoom with different people. And so there's uh, even mailings. Um, our women's ministry is going to get that ready and send it out. Um, you may have already gotten it. You may not have yet, but they're sending out some information about the ministry that they're doing. So mailings can be an encouragement to us. There are all kinds of ways for us to encourage one another or a parakaleo um, in the Greek to come alongside one another so that we can be strengthened for what is a, an onslaught of Satan's attack in our life. So we can avoid rebellion by being encouraged. Now I want to tell you what one of my dreams is. And we're going to get back together in in-person gathering on September 6th. We'll be in two services at 9 and 11. But here's my dream. And I think Isaiah may have even re referenced this in, in our welcome this morning is that we would have an incredibly large number of folks here to celebrate coming together and worshiping as a congregation and as a church family. But here's the dream. And we're going to put some things in place for the health of our congregation. And we're going to ask you to extend grace. Um, we're going to encourage masks. And masks will be mandatory as you enter the building. Um, but we're also going to ask about three questions or have you look at three questions on the way in, respond to that. We'll even take your temperature if there's a question about whether you're healthy. Um, and we'll keep social distancing in place. But what if we put three or four more things in the way of you getting in the building? What if we said, here's three or four more hoops for you to jump through before you can come in and worship? My dream is that regardless of the hoops that we ask you to jump through, that your desire to worship as a congregation and a church family is so strong that you'd be willing to do, as the sign on the outside of our building says, you'd be willing to do whatever it takes. See, that's the want to that I want to take, I want to, us to have 
as part of our character and our heart. I think as we get together, we can avoid rebellion by encouraging one another to live for Christ. The third part of of saving from a hard heart is to confess regularly. To keep a short account with the God of all creation. 1 John 1.9 gives us the prescription for that. It says if we confess with the if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That idea is the idea of taking a whiteboard and wiping it clean with no residue so that God can write His story on our lives with, with a fashion that declares His glory and His magnificence. And so 1 John 1.9 is us developing a healthy relationship with God to confess regularly um, we can have an unhealthy relationship with God. You may have seen this in your own home where there's a disobedient child and it affects the relationship between the parent and the child. Now you know it, they know it, and they know something is wrong and it's just an irritant that hangs out in between you and the child or the child and you. And so you have this situation that is not healthy. And what we're talking about here with Confess Regularly is clearing that up so that that relationship with God can be as healthy as possible. It means that God can have the desire or the, have the relationship that He desires according to His Word. And we can have the relationship that we inwardly desire as we submit to Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life through Christ. The fourth part of saving from a hard heart is to live humbly. To avoid the self-deism trap. To avoid that place where I think I'm better than even God. So avoiding that and then ascribing value to others. Ascribing value to others to think more of others than we think of ourselves. Paul put it like this to the Corinthian church. He says in verse 7 of chapter 8, says, but as you excel in everything. Now, Catch the phrasing that Paul uses here because it's a great list. He says, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See, loving is an act of grace. And then it says in verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So Paul is calling us to a genuine love that encourages one another. So we live humbly because we think more of the person that's sitting next to us in a seat or next to us in our living room than we think of ourselves. And we want to serve and honor them and value them as a creation of God in the image of God. And so we can jump over to chapter 13 of Exodus as we continue to talk about Moses' story in light of God's story in Acts chapter or Exodus chapter 13 what we read about in this particular passage is the ending and it says what God wants them to do on the on the heels of being released from Egypt Egyptian slavery this is what it says in chapter 13 verse 1 God starts with the Lord said to Moses so God is giving his instruction again to Moses verse 3 then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out, of, out from Egypt, out from the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And so Moses is reminding them of where they've come from and this day that is a marker in their lives. And then he goes on to talk about unleavened bread and how that is a, a reminder of what God has done. And then in verse 8, you shall tell your son on that day, talking about the unleavened bread, when you break that as part of a feast, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. See, there's a recognition that as you're remembering, as you're remembering this, that God has brought you out, there's also the acknowledgement that you could still be there if it wasn't for God. And we could look at our lives and go back and say, 
when we've accepted Christ and we live out that, where would we be if God was not in our lives? Where would we be if we had never received Jesus Christ as our Savior? So we can do the same thing. We can look back and say, this is where you'd be, but here's the strong hand of God that has saved you. Then in verses 11 through, um, through a little bit further in that passage, he's going to talk about the firstborn and the consecration of the firstborn. And we jump down to verse 14, and here's that reminder piece again. And when in time to, when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? Talking about the consecration of the firstborn. You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So there's always this look back at what God has done for you in light of what your life was like in slavery under the Egyptians. And we can look at it and say, that's how our life would be. We'd be under the slavery of sin if it weren't for Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on Calvary. You say, But it's really not all about us, is it? It's really about God. It's about His story. It's about bringing glory to Him. So when we read Moses writing this account, that you're to remember this about what God did, it's about giving credit to God. It's about Him being recognized as the One who is strong and mighty and preserves us. So as you think about your life and look in the mirror against God's Word, think about Pharaoh and the progression that took place in Pharaoh's life that developed this hard heart that eventually led to his rebellion and rejection of God. And ask yourself the question, do I have a hard heart? Is there something that I need to deal with in my own life? Uh, Maybe an easier question to answer would be, where have I been in rebellion to God? Where in my life have I been in rebellion to God? Knowing that if I continue in rebellion, it's going to create hardness and and a callousness toward God. So if you want to, if you have that, I would say now is the time to repent and turn and turn back toward God. Second question is if you have a need to confess today the things that have been rebellious or the the things that are rebellion in your life. What do you need to confess today that will restore health to your relationship with God? What do you need to confess? And then lastly, how will you be a catalyst of God's goodness to someone else? You see, all of us were in a place where we couldn't save ourselves. God provided Jesus Christ on our behalf so that we could have a relationship with a holy God. And we can go down the road of hardness of heart and callousness toward God and even rejection of God, but God invites us and has invited us to be part of His family. And those of us who have accepted Christ, we have the opportunity to tell others about our confidence in God and our life in God, the abundant life that comes through Jesus Christ. That doesn't make it easier, but we know we can lean on and lean into the God that created everything around us. And so this morning, as God has dealt with your heart, as God has reminded you of things in your life that would, that would work to create this healthy relationship between um, you and He, I pray that you'll be obedient to Him and that He will be glorified and exalted as you respond. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus. And Father, as we um, consider our lives in the mirror of Your Word, Father, remind us of how much You love us. And that You are that Father that is waiting there for the Son to come down the road, that prodigal Son, to come back into the family and enjoy all the benefits being part of the family of God. So Father, as You draw us, teach us. And then Father, sustain us by Your grace so that our relationship with You can be healthy and as You desire. God, thank You again for who You are. 
We pray these things in the mighty and strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, I know that meeting online on a regular basis is hard. And that's why I'm glad we're getting together on September 6th. But if you don't feel healthy at that point, or there's something else that would prevent you from coming to join us, we'll still be online. Uh, I just pray that you will continue to be part and connected to the family of God here at Ebenezer. May God bless you, and I hope to see you very soon. Have a great day. We welcome you to join us next Sunday for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.